China is no longer a low-cost country. So where do manufacturers go now? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's been happening for a few years now. China's position as the go-to country for cheap and reliable manufacturing gradually eroding as labor rates rise and geopolitical turmoil sours companies on sourcing production there, or at least exclusively. A new study from the Reshoring Institute of labor rates in 13 countries suggests that the trend is picking up, driven by recent supply chain disruptions that make offshoring to China increasingly untenable. On this episode, we welcome back Rosemary Coates, Executive Director of the Reshoring Institute, who talks about the contents of the new study and what it means for global sourcing strategies in years to come. Will other countries in Asia step in to fill the void? Will Mexico become the new factory to the world? Or will American businesses come streaming back to the U.S. and set up domestic manufacturing in order to be close to markets? Here's my conversation with Rosemary Coates. Rosemary Coates, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here again. Always good to speak with you. Now, I understand that the Reshoring Institute has just completed a as a newly published study comparing labor rates in 12 countries plus the U.S., Is that, in fact, the case? And tell me, what are some of the highlights of the findings of this latest piece of research? Yeah, so a while back, just before the pandemic, we started talking about what was happening with labor rates in China and started doing a comparison of those labor rates. But then we put it aside during the pandemic because just too many variables were going on. So we picked it up again a few months ago and finally published the study that we did. So I worked with a couple of interns, graduate student interns, and we looked at 12 countries around the globe, including, and then the 13th would be the U.S., and we compared labor rates in all of those countries. We picked the 12 for comparison because those are countries that our clients are either moving from or moving to. And so then we evaluated various job descriptions, so like production worker, welder, machine operator, and then supervisors, production supervisors and production managers, and had some very interesting results. Some stuff that I didn't quite expect either. Well, tell me more about that. What were some of the things that you didn't expect that turned out to be the case? Well, we knew that labor rates were going up in China, but I was surprised to find that when we did this comparison, China is now like right in the middle of the pack. You could no longer consider them a low-cost labor country because the wages have gone up so much that they are really in the middle of the comparison. The low end now is Mexico, India, and Vietnam, and that was for production workers. It changes a little bit when we look at different job titles, but by and large, China just can't be considered a low-cost country anymore. Now, Looking at labor rates only, was it's not the only evaluation or the only variable that you would look at when you're making a decision as to where to locate. 
But companies that have high-touch labor, so, for example, assembling athletic shoes has like 200 steps to it, and a lot of them are, are manual, or a sewing factory for apparel, that, that sort of thing, where there's a very high labor content, then you would want to look for a really low-cost country of Vietnam or a Myanmar or Bangladesh or Mexico, places where the labor rates are very low. But an awful lot of companies that we deal with are not necessarily producing products that have such a low labor rate. So it's one factor, but then you also need to consider many of the other factors, including the availability of labor, the logistics costs, the proximity to market. So there are lots of variables to consider. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think all the companies that we deal with start with labor. That's the place, right, to start with an economic comparison. Now, these are trends that were to some degree in evidence before the pandemic. We even knew just several years ago that Chinese wages were on the rise. But it it sounds like now it's at a point where much more than we had expected or much more than it was pre-pandemic, right? Yeah, so we knew they were rising and we heard all kinds of stories. It wasn't significant enough to cause a lot of companies to rethink where their manufacturing sites in China. However, with all of the various things going on with respect to China, it makes a difference. So we're looking at labor rates going up. We have the risk that was introduced during the pandemic. So when factories shut down, you can't get your parts. This is a a long global supply chain. So the proximity to market is really a long, long way away. And that enters into the decision. And then, of course, the geopolitical risk. The Trump administration and, to some extent, the Biden administration have been China bashing for quite some time. China is doing the same thing regarding America. So they're doing American bashing. In fact, after the George Floyd murder, China went crazy saying America has all these human rights issues and look at what happened here and so forth. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it's gone two ways and that's caused a, a significant deterioration in the relationship between the countries. That's taken two forms, I guess. One is the subject of tariffs and duties on Chinese goods. And then the other is, as you say, the human rights aspect, the treatment of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang province and the like. So I guess there's two tracks there that are causing us to think of China with regard to so-called ESG or environmental, social and governance concerns, right? Right, right, exactly right. So certainly human rights are another issue, but then there's also currency problems and then the saber rattling with respect to Taiwan. So, and I think mm. in terms of China repatriating Taiwan, I think it's just a matter of time. It's it's not a will they or won't they, it's when will it happen. So all these things introduce risk. We used to think of China as being the go-to place. I mean, I helped lots of companies offshore to China because of the low-cost operational environment, the low-cost wages, the friendly business environment, the willingness of the Chinese government to open their arms and have American businesses locate there and Western European businesses too. Not so any anymore. Now the labor rates have gone up. The risk has been exposed. The geopolitical situation is untenable. So the decision to leave China at this point is very prominent on boards and and executives' minds these days. Or at the very least, to diversify, to mitigate the risk of single sourcing in China. 
But if that is the case, and indeed we are hearing about a lot of manufacturing diversifying multiple other types of sources, why would the result of that be reshoring as opposed to simply going to other low-cost countries? We pointed that out in the study also. So most companies now, I think, are genuinely looking at a China plus one strategy. So mm-hmm. perhaps leaving some manufacturing in China to serve the Chinese market, which is growing almost double digits year over year. You have a potentially very large market there, but then also mitigating your risk by operating in another country. If you have a lot of labor, you know, if labor content is very high in the product you're producing, then it's probably a good idea to look at some of the other low-cost countries like Mexico, for example, Vietnam, as I mentioned before, and India. So India has its own set of problems in terms of logistics and so forth, infrastructure problems. Mexico is a very good option. The labor rates are low. The proximity to the U.S. market is good. And if you produce there, you may have an opportunity to bring goods in under USMCA duty-free. So that gives you an advantage over China as well. And then companies are now really evaluating the possibility of bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. And to do that, you have to look at a total cost of ownership model and also probably introduce automation to extract some of the labor costs and do an overall economic evaluation of risk and so forth. Just to play devil's advocate here, Mexico seems to be the best of both worlds, low labor and proximity to market and potential duty-free, as you pointed out, the U.S. MCA agreement. So under what scenario might reshoring back to the United States domestically be a better move than simply shifting to Mexico? You're right. Mexico is a very good option. An awful lot of our clients are considering Mexico as a China plus one strategy. The problem with Mexico is it's not America. And Mm -hmm. if we want to, we're sincere about rebuilding manufacturing in America, which is a great idea because it helps strengthen our economy overall and puts lots of people to work. It has a magnifier effect on economies. There are many, many good reasons for it. So if you can make the case to economically do it, and we're pretty sure we can we can do that. I mean, we've been doing that for a number of companies where we can get the cost structures down significantly, then you can make the case for manufacturing here. And to rebuild manufacturing in in America is our objective at the Reshoring Mm -hmm. Institute. So we do, we help companies move all over the place, but we ultimately like to rebuild manufacturing in America. Certainly it's advantageous to your goals that this is happening at the same time that the nation is waking up to the importance of sourcing certain critical raw materials domestically, such as microchips, which has led to the plans for constructing new chip-making facilities right here in the United States, which potentially is tens of thousands of jobs. So I guess that's got to be a good sign for you. Absolutely a great sign. In fact, I just wrote about that a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article about it. And the Chips and Sciences Act is really going to boost the opportunity to produce uh, semiconductors in the U.S. And if you think about it, semiconductors are in everything. They are in our cell phones. They're in automobiles. They're in airplanes everywhere. They're in your hair dryer, <laughs> places <laughs> that you, you don't think about, but are everyday items that we use continuously. So it's important for us to have easy access to semiconductors. 
And then, mm-hmm. of course, on the defense side of things, advanced semi- semiconductor production is really important to have it locally. And it's boosted the Chips and Sciences Act, as well as the general emphasis on rebuilding semiconductors in the U.S. has resulted in manufacturing sites being built in Phoenix and Ohio, and of course, the big mega factory in upstate New York. However, the big question that hangs in the air over the prospect of reshoring manufacturing back to the United States is labor availability. Now, notwithstanding, you made reference to automation, which requires to some degree, fewer people in the factory. But even with that being the case, are we not facing a crisis in labor availability and manufacturing that could put a wrench in the works in trying to reshore manufacturing to a great degree? That's absolutely true. There's a labor shortage nationwide, for sure. And in effect, there's labor shortages all over the world right now. But what we see is there's a labor shortages because there's a skill shortage. So it isn't mm. so much that there aren't enough people to fill those positions. It's that people don't have the right skills to fill that position. So I I think there needs to be additional emphasis placed on education and skill building so that we're training people to run the robots instead of putting pegs in holes. They're running the robots that put the pegs in holes. And that's Mm -hmm. a different skill set altogether and requires advanced training and it pays a better wage. We have it a little bit upside down in terms of just complaining about the lack of skilled labor. Instead, I think we need to focus on education and training those people so that our labor pool increases significantly. That's a great point. But I mean, over the years, as we've seen old traditional standard U.S. manufacturing (laughs) jobs go by the wayside in favor of offshoring. We've always heard after that, well, or with automation, too, the issue is, okay, automation comes in, so we need to do this retraining. How good a job have we done, though? It seems to me that there just hasn't been an all-out massive effort to undertake the necessary retraining that can bring these workers up to speed in the way that you just described. Have we fallen back, and, and, and what can we do to improve? Yeah, well, I would say there's no silver bullet for sure. But in, during the mass migration of manufacturing to overseas locations in the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of the training kind of companies that provided these intermediary skills between high school and a full engineering degree. So there were a lot of technical skills to teach welders and machine tool operators and tool and die makers and so forth. Those educational facilities shut down because there just was no need. We, we were shipping all the manufacturing overseas, so we didn't need those kind of workers. Now we find ourselves in trying to rebuild manufacturing and we we have a lack of those skills because they have not been emphasized for, say, 20 years. So who has stepped in to fill that gap is community colleges across the nation. Lots and lots and lots of community colleges have stepped up and started training programs in supply chain management, in tool and die making, and other skilled kind of labor related. And so partnering in the community with a community college, I think, is what we're going to see in terms of an answer moving forward and the solution to providing skilled labor for those kind of jobs. Do you think that some of these plans, I mean, companies seem very enthusiastic about the idea of reshoring an aspect of their manufacturing to the U.S. (laughs) Do you think that they might be reluctant to proceed in light of 
the potential economic climate coming along in 2023. First of all, inflation we're experiencing now, plus the threat of a recession, if indeed we haven't already been in a recession for months. Do you think this might put a hold or slow down efforts to reshore? Maybe. Oh, boy. The economic factors these days are just crazy. I've watched a, a number of economic advisors on TV recently over the past couple of weeks talking about the potential for recession, but all the indicators are not there. We're essentially at full employment. People are still out shopping. There's no indication that we're going to be in a recessionary environment. So I think the best advice that I give my clients is, sure, I mean, you got to keep an eye on the economy and what's happening and so forth. And I live in Silicon Valley. Tech sector is really, really suffering right now. Lots of layoffs and so forth. But from an executive perspective, you, you have to look at the long term and say, well, maybe over the next year or so, we've got some issues with how the economy is operating. But ultimately, we want to rethink our global manufacturing strategy. And that doesn't happen overnight. That's a, the kind of decision and operations mm -hmm. that take a year or two to materialize. So executives think not only day-to-day -day and how they can maximize profit on a weekly or a monthly or annual basis, but also long-term. Where is the company going? And what are the goals for where in the world you're manufacturing? The old idea of domestic manufacturing, I mean, for years it was a great political talking point. It was mom, apple pie, and domestic manufacturing. Yeah. But a certain <laughs> amount of pie in the sky, if I might mix a metaphor there. I'm wondering, though, if based on the findings of your latest study and based on all these factors that we're talking about today, that there might be a real step change in attitude where we are actually beginning to see a significant move toward reshoring. Are you confident that that is, in fact, the case? I think it's a hybrid also. So it's not simply bringing back the 23 cent an hour T-shirt production. <laughs> Honestly, we don't want that back because if we can't pay a living wage to our workers, we have to supplement their income with welfare. And we, we don't want to create a welfare state. So what we want is a hybrid, and that's manufacturing to come back that's more skillful, that's more advanced, that's more automated, that is really going to produce products for the future. You talked about semiconductors a few minutes ago. That's a very good example. A lot of automation and semiconductor production, but it puts a lot of people to work also with different skills than say they had an assembly factory in the past. It's a shift. It's a, a refocus on the, a more advanced kind of mature manufacturing than we have in the past. So just saying manufacturing in general really requires some clarification. So according to this global labor rate study by the Restoring Institute, China is no longer a low-cost country, which is starting a really interesting conversation about a real move toward reshoring of manufacturing. And Rosemary Coates of the Restoring Institute, as I say, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for bringing us up to date on the latest intelligence and thinking on this topic. Really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Thank you. That was my conversation with Rosemary Coates of the Reshoring Institute, talking about trends in global sourcing and manufacturing. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. 
also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.